Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. This program is produced weekly by the Christ Life Fellowship. Join us at christ-life.org. We are in the foundation studies that Warren Litzman is presenting, the foundations of the Christ Life message. Now we're going into another phase of those messages, set number two, and today we're dealing in the book of Galatians. Let's get right into it. Here's Warren. Now we're going to go into the Word. We're going to hear what the Spirit has to say by the Word. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Today I'm going to talk to you about the Galatians 2.20 experience. Now I'm an old... Uh, experience type preacher. I used to think everybody needed an experience when they come to church, so I used to lay hands on everybody or do something to them, make them feel like they was getting their money's worth and was had been to church. <laughs> but the problem with that was all they wanted was another experience, so they never they never grew. Uh, that's like having a tire that gets a flat every time you go out. They got the flat fixed, but they never got a new tire which is what they needed. So I entered into the fullness of Christ and the Christ life message, and I no longer was so interested in getting an experience as I was with having a life, knowing, knowing who and what I was in Christ. When I first started preaching, I tried to get everybody in the John 3.16 experience. Now, if you had that experience, you must be born again. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, that's the first experience you need. That's the experience of John 3.16. And then next I got into the uh, Pentecostal experience, and we call that the Acts 2.4 experience. You didn't have Pentecost unless you had it according to Acts 2.4. And so I led people by the thousands into the Acts 2-4 experience. But then again, whenever I came to a knowledge of Christ as our life, I got a new experience, and that's the Galatians 2-20 experience. Now, I think I'm through with experiences. That's the last one. I hope it is. Uh, it better be because that's the experience that killed me out. So if there's no me left, uh, there's no more experiences. But we're going to talk about the Galatians 2.20 experience. Galatians 2.20 uh, simply reads like this. It says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, this is such a loaded verse of Scripture that we probably won't get it all covered here in this session at all. But what I want to do is talk to you about some of the pertinent, basic things that have to do with the Christ life. I sense that there are things that we easily forget. They're there in our computer, but we don't draw them up, pull them up at the right time and the right place so that they make a difference in the way we live. And the only way to get that settled is to finally get it resolved that that's the way it is. There are so many things in religion that we would not accept unless we felt good about it or had a feeling over it or got an emotion from it. 
You can't do that if you're going on with God. You've got to leave the emotional aspect as a sign following. It can't lead you anymore. What you have to do now is fix your mind on certain things. You make your mind up about it, but it's more than that. It becomes concrete. I'm always using the illustration that one time in my life I had a problem with mathematics when I was a kid. And I finally had to make my mind up that two and two made four. That was hard for me to accept in the first grade. Why is two and two four? Who said that? Where did it come from? Well, I come to find out nobody knew. That's just what it was. That was the basis for mathematics. If you didn't see two and two was four, there's no sense going on in mathematics because it is based on such a simplicity as that. Well, I finally did that. I fixed it in my mind that two and two is four. Don't matter who said it. Don't matter how it came about. Don't matter what it has to do with anything else. Two and two makes four. Well, what I really did was to accept by faith something that was a truth. Now, you've got to do that with everything that has to do with the Bible and with God. You have to accept it. You can't say, well, that don't seem to work for me. Forget that. Two and two never did work for me. But if I didn't know that, I couldn't add today. There are a lot of things in the Scripture that are not going to work for you. There are things in the Scripture nobody will have an answer for. Now, see, that bothers a lot of people because they think there has to be an answer to everything. When I first started out as a Baptist, we had an answer for everything in the Bible. Most of it wasn't right, but we had an answer for everything in the Scriptures because we didn't figure we could trust God if we didn't. But the facts are you don't get an answer for everything. And in my lifetime, I have changed my base of operations with God several different times. Don't feel badly if you have to do that. I started out as a Baptist. Now I'm in the Christ life. And in between, there's been about seven other ways of knowing God that I've had to go through to get to this point where I am now. But what I did finally was to get some things fixed in my mind, some important things. You have to say, that's so, not because I feel it, not because I see it, but because this is said in the book, it says that, so I believe it. That's the way you accept Jesus. If you accepted Jesus Christ on the basis that you felt him washing your sins away, or you felt a lot better, or a lot cleaner, or a lot more holy, you may not even be saved, because that has nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is by faith. It's by trusting what he said. If you didn't really do that, and are still depending on those feelings, then you're not going to get the joy of salvation. You're not going to get the fruit of your salvation. Because salvation is based on the fact that you believed what he said, whether you could see it or understand it or feel it. You had to take it because God said it. Well, if we're going to enter into the Galatians 2.20 experience, there's some things we have to say. There's, we have to say them and we have to believe them when we say them. Not because we understand them or because we have the whole answer to the thing or we see the whole picture, but we have to take them because the Scripture says that. And that's the way we are with Galatians 2.20. I don't see yet nor understand everything there is in Galatians 2.20, but I tell you, as I walk in the Spirit, it opens up to me day by day, hour by hour, I see and come to know something greater than I did before. So in Galatians 2.20, we have given to us two different objects that we want to consider first. If you'll notice at least Four or five times. In fact, I think it's five times the letter I is there. I. I. That's one issue in this verse. I. 
He says, I am crucified. I live. I, not I, but Christ. I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God. So we have a predominant person to deal with in Galatians 2.20. It's the I. It's the me. Who am I? Me. That's me. And the other person that is mentioned in this verse is Christ. I'm crucified with Christ, but Christ liveth in me. I live by the faith of the Son of God. So we have a second person given to us in Galatians 2.20 who we are to deal with. And that second person, of course, is Christ. So we have two different persons to deal with in Galatians 2.20. If I was put before you here the I, who is the I, I would tell you that the I of the human being is made up between the human being's body and soul. That's the I. You, the me that you are, is made up of a body and soul. So Paul says that this is I, me, Paul. But he says also there is Christ, the second person, Christ. Now, Christ, therefore, is the spirit of the human being. And in order to fully see how Christ is the spirit of the human being, we need to go to another verse of Scripture. Now, we're going to do some Scripture searching here, so keep your Bibles handy. I want you to go with me to Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, at verse 12, we read this very popular verse of Scripture. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow and of the discern of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Well, you've heard that verse lots of times, haven't you? But did you notice what it said? It said that the Word of God, this, this book, the Word, not the Bible, the Bible is the compilation of everything in this book. Whenever the Scripture says the Word of God, we have narrowed the Bible down to its main object, Christ. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If I said to you that the Bible is a discerner of our thoughts and intents, wouldn't mean nearly so much as when it says that the Word of God is the separator of soul and spirit and the discerner of our thoughts and intents. Well, this is different. The Word is a person. And so what the writer of Hebrews says here, that there is a strong sword... Something like that, called the Word of God, which separates soul and spirit. Well, now, you've never considered yourself in any sort of a breakup like this, have you? If you want to do something bad, you did it body, soul, and spirit, and never thought of a division. Most people never do think of a division of their person. In fact, a lot of preachers don't. They say the whole gospel's for the whole man, body, soul, and spirit. But this verse of Scripture is very important to our understanding of what God is doing in the human being. 
It says that when the Word of God is properly preached, it's going to divide the soul and the spirit. It's going to make two entities out of them like I have them here. You're going to have soul and you're going to have spirit. Well, now, that's very important that you see this division. Because aside from this division, you'll never really come to know who you are or how you become what God intended you be by being born again. This is a picture of a born-again person. This is a person who has accepted Christ as their Savior, and Christ becomes our spirit. He fills that spirit part of the human being. Any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his, Romans 8 and 9. <coughs> so Christ becomes the very spirit of the human being. Well, just because Christ's spirit is in this human being doesn't mean by any means that it's going to be manifested out here by body and soul. That's the way it is with a lot of believers. They have Christ in them. Every one of you that's born again have Christ in you. But Christ may not be getting out of you. And the reason he doesn't get out of you is that you have not had this division in your thinking between soul and spirit. And that's why I bring up this verse of Scripture. It's so important to see that division between what I am and who he is in order for me to become what his intention is for me. You see, I've got to know that. Well, the best way to really come to this knowledge or understanding of, of who we are in Christ is to uh, put it up here in a different way. Here we have me. This is me, the I. And here we have ourselves before we've been born again, before we're saved. We have in us what is a sin nature or a Satan spirit. Every person that comes into the world has a sin nature. Even if you had good parents, you, your nature comes from Adam. Who you are comes from Adam, your forefather, and Adam's nature came from Satan when he believed what the devil said in the Garden of Eden. And so every person that comes into the world is conceived in sin. So what you didn't know about you, the me, was that you had always been motivated by a nature that was sinful. That's the way you came into the world. Now, you may have been a good person, but being good doesn't matter to God. We've said this before. You said, well, I never did evil. That doesn't have anything to do. God's not interested in you stopping evil either. That's why Jesus came and said, you must be born again. Isn't it interesting to note that in the New Testament, the emphasis is never put on the me. The emphasis is always on what is the motivator of your life? Who is it that's in charge? That's why when Jesus met Nicodemus, he said the most unbelievable words that have ever been said by a human being on this earth. He looked at Nicodemus, who was the highest religious leader, and he said, Nicodemus, except you be born again, you can't see or enter the things of God. What was he saying? He's saying, except we do something about this sin nature that's in you, there's never going to be any change in you. Now, you can be the leader of the Jews, the highest monkey monk, the rabbi, the lawyer, everything that uh, religion could call for, but you're not going to have any change in you until we get a change in this nature. So Jesus said, you must be born again. Well, what does that mean? Everyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ has the sin nature to go out and the God nature to come in. 
That's why you must be born again. There'll never be a change in you until you're able to see that. Well, now, most of us that got born again didn't know a thing about natures. We didn't know that we had an exchange of nature. In fact, if you ever went to church somewhere and knelt at an altar and asked God to forgive you your sin, you probably may have shed a tear, felt real bad about it, jumped up and everybody hugged you, but the next day you were the same old person, probably doing the same old things, even though you had had a remarkable thing to take place on God's part, because all he said you had to do was to believe and you'll be born again. So you went into the, to the church with a sin nature and came out with a God nature, but didn't know any difference, because it didn't feel any different. You didn't feel another person in you. You didn't feel another nature in you. So all your life you've gone on with a little bit of doubt about God and a whole lot of doubt about church, saying, well, I did that. In fact, I've been, a fellow told me the other day, I've been in the altar 50 times, nothing ever took. <laughs> reason nothing ever took was the first time God put his seed in him and he was born again, but he never knew it. Nobody ever preached the true gospel to him, so he never knew what happened to him. So he's gone all his life with God nature in him, but he's the same old me. Same old me. No real change in him, even though God did his remarkable work. Well, you say, why didn't God change me? The reason God didn't change me was that he gave me the gift of his own son, Christ, in me and wanted me to learn of him. God didn't want me to become religious within myself. He wanted me to become a Christ person or a Christian because that's what he wanted to fill his house up with, Christians. Not Baptist, Methodist, Charismatics. He wanted his house to be filled with Christians. That is, people who had his nature in them. Any father would like to have that, like to have his, his own nature passed on to his children and fill up his house. That's why parents so love to have all the children come home at Thanksgiving or Christmas or for the family reunion because they look around and, and they, 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 most parents have blocks, you know. They look around and say, oh, these are just like me. They're sweet. But the, but the real facts are they may have the nature of that family in them, but, the, but they all express it differently, and some of them raunchedly. Well, why is it important to have this division between soul and spirit? When you came into the world, you were born a certain way. <laughs> you came into the world by parents, a mother and a father, who gave you A self. You came into the world as a self, separate from anybody else that ever came into this world. But as a self, you immediately took on the things that had to do with your natural family. For instance, uh, many people came into the world as, uh, as ethnic people. Uh, that is, they, they were born as Jews, or Gentiles, or Greeks, or barbarians, or Englishmen, or Irishmen, Scotchmen, Mexicans, Negroes. They came into the world ethnically. Everybody did. Everybody was born in some root of old Adam's family. And as a result, that had a great bearing on who they were as a self big bearing on who they were as a self. And then not only that, everybody that came into the world had uh, 
had uh, certain opportunities or lack of opportunities given to them. Uh, for instance, you may have come into the world to a very ignorant family. And uh, you were raised that way. Not just uh, uh, poor people from uh, uh, the other side of the railroad tracks, but uh, maybe you were like uh, uh, people in Korea who bound feet. They, they, they came in the world very ignorant, believing that if a, if a woman's feet were bound, she'd be uh, more healthy and holy. So she lived her life with bound feet, died at an early age because of lack of blood circulation. That was ignorance. Or ignorance like over in Africa where I was. They threw newborn girl babies into a crocodile-infested river at a certain uh, holiday season to atone for their sins, uh, giving another life for another. Uh, that was ignorance. So uh, you may have come into the world as a self in a very ignorant stage. And you may have grown up in a family where there were abuses. That's very predominant today. Uh, everybody's taking a look at their early family life and seeing how I was abused. Nobody loved me. My grandpa uh, abused me. Uh, uh, Daddy uh, beat on me and Mama cursed me. And uh, we've all got these abuses uh, that are a part of ourselves. And uh, we could go on here. You have, uh, you have uh, a number of things that have, that have happened to you. But now, when the gospel comes to us, it has to reach the very depth of our being. I said that God never did anything to this self. I don't believe he did, but what he did was to put Christ in us and let Christ begin to be manifested through us. Second Corinthians 5 and 17 says, If any man have Christ in him, he, the man, the I, the self, is a whole new creation. Ah, that's something. We never got that, did we? I mean, the gospel never reached that deep for us, did it? That we realized that when we were born again, we were a whole new creation. Who was? If any man, this self, be born again, Christ in him, he is a whole new creation. Well, let's look at all these problems he has here. It is in these problems that we begin to see the importance of Galatians 2.20 and the experience of Galatians 2.20. Now, you can serve God a lifetime and never know this till you're ready to take on the Galatians 2.20 experience. What's the very first thing said in this, this uh, verse of Galatians 2.20? Uh, the very first important word is, about the I am is that I am crucified. Now, that's a word we don't understand. That's hard for us to, to come to grips with the fact that we're crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. That's hard for us to take. Uh, everybody quotes that verse of Scripture. Preachers rattle it off, but nobody really never goes into detail about it. What does it mean to be crucified with Christ? Well, the only part of us that could be crucified is this self. What is it that the crucifixion of Jesus Christ had to do with ourself? It was that when we become believers and are ready to say, 
count this as so, reckon it so, figure it up, say it so, whether I feel it or not, I am crucified with Christ, the first thing it attacks are these three things in your life. If you have indeed been born again and the God seed is in you, the first thing it takes care of are the deepest roots in your life, in your past life. Why? It says the man, this self, is a new creation. Why? Because Christ lives in him. So what was the very first thing dealt with? Well, let's... Take a look at how important this was to the Apostle Paul. Three times the Apostle Paul makes a statement like this. He says, in Christ there is no Jew, Gentile, no Greek, no barbarian, no Scythian, no bond, no free, no male, and no female. Three times he says this. Well, now that's something, isn't it? He says, if Christ be in any man, there is no more ethnicity at work in this self. What was first crucified? Paul says the ethnicity of the human being. He may look like a Jew, but he no longer is a Jew. He is a new creation in Christ Jesus. This subject's very heavy on our minds coming from Dallas because we really are about the meanest town in the country right now. Our uh, chief of police is on trial right now, indicted by a grand jury for mistreating blacks. Our, we have a black county commissioner who took a gun this last month to a policeman, ready to shoot him. And on top of that, we have an election coming up in the city over how to divide the ethnic groups from the rest of it and give them a voice in the city council that has just about broken out in a war. In fact, the councilman said it's about time we all took up our guns and went to the street. So we got a real ruckus going there that's uh, brought the FBI and everybody else in because it's a, a, a boiling kettle right now of uh, what to do. And in all of this, the thought has... Uh, in all of this, I should remind you that Dallas is probably the most singularly religious city in the United States. And somebody says, how in the world can... We actually are a leading town in murders right now. I don't know whether you ever get this information. But, but we've, we've had more murders in Dallas than anywhere else, at least according to Time magazine. Anyhow, uh, in all of this, it came to me is uh, you can really have a form of godliness like Dallas has, the biggest churches in the country, everything big and better than anybody else, more Christians, uh, 50% of, of our almost million and a half people are Baptists, so uh, they all believe in being born again. We have a form of godless that denies the power of God. And what really has happened is this ethnic idea has become so strong 
that it's obvious man has no answer to this problem of what to do with the ethnicity and the minority problem in the world. They can't solve it in Israel. Uh, they can't solve it in India where they're having a real uh, skirmish over it now. There's no place on earth that man is solving this problem. Well, I'm going into this little detail so you can see something. The born-again believers, the born-again believers have had what was in their first estate, their natural family, taken away from them when they were born again. See? It ought not to exist among Christians. Because among Christians there is no such thing as a difference between brothers and sisters. And in the one place in this nation where more religion is preached than anywhere else, we're having a big problem right now, mainly because the true gospel isn't preached. What is the true gospel? The true gospel is that there's no such thing as an ethnic left. There's no such thing as a minority people left. The born again are one in Christ Jesus. The only difference between them is in containers. has nothing to do with who they are. See? You need to always remember that here because that's very deep in us. Back years ago, when we had a school at, at, at one of our churches in August, I was the only one there. Everybody else had left, and the lady come up knocking on the door saying, do you have a school? I said, yes. I was the only one there. And uh, she said, oh, a little black lady. And she said, oh, this is my last hope. She said, can you take any more children in this term? She said, I have been to every place and said, some of them won't take blacks and some of them won't take my children this late. And she said, I've got to ask you, can you take black children here? And I said, no, lady, we can't. Oh, she's, she's a sweet Christian. She said, I was afraid you'd say that. She said it real sweetly. Should have been mean at me. I said, lady, we just take children here. We don't take them by colors. Christians have lost their ethnic background. Paul said there are no Jews in Christ. There are no Gentiles in Christ. There are no Greeks in Christ. Well, you can see right off what our need is, can't you? We need to preach the gospel. See, the gospel isn't being preached anymore. And it is only by the preaching of the gospel that we have a change. Or we're ignorant. We do all of these ignorant things. Ignorance. Paul went to the degree of saying there's not even male or female. Well, obviously, there's as much a woman and a man in Christ, separate, distinctive races, as there are as there are different colors among people. But he says, hey, in Christ, no man lords it over a woman, and no woman lords it over a man. That's lost too. Why? They're one in Christ Jesus. The born again have come to a relationship to where in Christ there is no male or female anymore with the distinction that I'm somebody. That's lost. Abuses. In Christ, there are no remaining abuses except in your thinking. Only in your thinking. Somebody comes to me and says, oh, I was mistreated when a child. 
My mother didn't love me and my uncle abused me. So now we've got such publicity on that that we've got Christians everywhere trying to get free of the devil. Somebody cast the devil out of them. Somebody help me. I'm bound by this past. And we counselors go wild over that because that fills up our schedule. But you see, the problem is that doesn't exist anymore unless you want it to. See? I got a dad that wailed the daylights out of me with a razor strap, but that doesn't exist anymore. If I let it exist in my mind, I'd hate. But when I was born again, old things passed away. Everything that had to do with my first birthing passed away. Now, you can hold on to it if you want to. You can say, I got this weakness, if you want to. You can say, my family was a bum family and I got a bum start. You can say anything you want to, but when you were born again, God never recognizes anything out of that first family. It's done away with, and that's why when you keep praying about it, God smiles and does nothing. See, you don't get free of your past till you make your mind up about it. You don't get free of what's happened to you before until you make your mind up about it. If you want to keep on saying your mama mistreated you, you can live as a psychotic all your days and still be born again. Thank God for the resurrection morning. You may get some change in your mind then. You may even see her first. But if you want to live now and be happy, you need to realize... That when you were born again, the old things passed away. Why did I begin by saying here that the Word of God needs to be preached to separate soul and spirit? Because you have allowed your soul mind to rule you. You've allowed your soul mind to be greater than your spirit, Christ. You have allowed what you were to be greater than what took place at Calvary. This is the reasoning you're going to have to come to. You have allowed what you're doing now that gets you in trouble to be more powerful than that blood that was shed at Calvary. You need to get one thing fixed in your mind that's centered at that cross. As long as you got it centered in your mind and fixed in your mind that I can't help doing this, this is the way I am, that's the way you're going to be as a man thinketh, so is he. But once you got it fixed in your mind that I have been delivered, I'm set free, Calvary will shed blood for me, and my past is gone, and there is no weakness in my life now. It was in my past taken away. There's no, there's no alcohol strain in my present that was taken away. The whole thing, nicotine was taken away. Anything I want to be free of, I now am free if I declare it in my mind, which is what faith is. Trust and faith. You make your mind up about it. You made your mind up to be bad, and that was easy. It worked. Now you need to make your mind up about who you are in Christ Jesus. For that, Paul said, is the power of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. 
in your soul mind, you still carry these problems. I do. We all do. But in our spirit, we rule over those problems once we get it fixed in our mind that our direction is to the Christ in us rather than to my past. That's why the Scripture says old things are passed away. Our sins are dropped in the deep of the sea, removed from us as far as the heavens are from the earth. That meant that everything that had to do with your past is taken away, but you've got to reckon it so. Romans 6 says that you are dead to sin, and sin hath no more dominion over you if you reckon yourself to be dead to that sin. So the word we're talking about is the first word in Galatians 2.20 that says, I am crucified. Well, what are you going to crucify? How is it you crucify something? You can't do anything about your past. You can't correct what your mama did and the bad strain that's in your family or the weakness that's in your mind or the ignorance, the abuses or what kind of world you came into. You can't do one thing about that. But you can get it out of your mind because he says crucified. What do you do? You reckon yourself dead to it. I'm dead to it. That doesn't rule me anymore. I'm dead to it. I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to the past. You say, well, I don't feel it. I've done that and nothing happened. I didn't feel two and two makes four either, but I finally said it and confessed it long enough till it began to work. When you confess a thing by faith, God moves. You confess that your past is covered by the blood, taken care of, God begins to move. And it finally gets fixed in your mind that I don't have to do anything to perpetuate and make my past go away. So he says, I am crucified with Christ. That takes care of the first big word here. And the first position of Christ, I'm dead with Christ on the cross. I'm dead with Christ on the cross. Now, are you listening to me? How dead are you to sin? As dead as he is on that cross. How dead was he on that cross? Totally dead. Everybody said he was dead. That's how dead you are to sin. Well, you don't feel that, do you? But you've got to get it fixed in your mind. We'll stop right here, but pick up next time as this foundational study continues with Warren Litzman, the foundation of the Christ Life message. Don't forget to visit us at our website, christ-life.org. Look at the bookstore. You'll find so many great materials that Warren left behind for us, the books, the videos, the tapes, and you can have all of this in your own library by visiting our bookstore and looking around and seeing what interests you. It's all good, believe me. Everything in there is great. Robbie Litzman, we'd like to thank you for allowing us to go into the archives each week. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock, she does the weekly podcast notes. And this program is produced weekly by Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.